Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am the heart-centered connector. And effective communication is at the heart of every communication I have and every guest that I bring on the show. And it's also central to people getting along with each other in the workplace. And that's why my company sponsors this podcast. We are on fire about getting our best in class products and tools out to the world to help people effectively communicate with each other and connect with each other better. And today we're going to be having a very interesting conversation around that very topic. I'm delighted to welcome as my guest, Roberta Matchison. Roberta, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited about introducing you to my audience. Uh, Let me give a little bit more formal introduction before we jump into our discussion. Roberta is president of Matchison Consulting, and for more than 25 years, she's been helping organizations like General Motors and Microsoft achieve dramatic growth through the maximization of their talent. And that's why she's known worldwide as the talent maximizer. She's the author of six commercially published books, and we're going to focus on her latest one called Can We Talk? Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Conversations at Work. Roberta, this topic is so relevant for everyone who's listening to this podcast, no matter what kind of work they're involved in, because we all have these situations or these individuals where we are hesitant to speak up. And so what I want to start with is so everyone will come to appreciate who you are and how you have gained this expertise. Tell us briefly about your journey to focusing on maximizing talent and how that ties in with this new book that you've created. Sure. Well, I started my leadership journey very early. And at the age of 24, I was tossed into the executive suite overnight. And uh, I was thrown into that role with little more than a prayer. And the fact that I survived, and in some t- sometimes I even thrived for six years was a miracle. <laughs> and so along the way, having been an executive and, and having a seat at the table and, and you know, having my own challenges, um, I learned a lot, right? And so you can learn as much from people who have done things well as you can from people who don't. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, I found myself in similar roles, uh, executive roles, and I was in the corporate world for 20 plus years. So stepped out oh, about 25 years ago to start my own practice. And, and what was it that caused you to say, you know, this whole thing of maximizing talent, talk about what do you mean by that, first of all, and how it ties in with what we're experiencing right now with the great resignation. Well, for me, maximizing talent is um, getting people to be the most productive they can be and giving people the opportunities that they really 
want and deserve and, you know, making the best use of your talent. Mm -hmm. And so with the, this book, what had you been experiencing? Cause I know you're also an executive coach. And so this work you've been doing with clients, uh, there was an, after the other five books that you wrote, this one is different because it's really looking at how do we talk to each other when the stakes are high or when it's an uncomfortable situation? What were some of the things in your experience with clients that caused you to see there's a real need for a book like this? Well, I found that with my executive coaching clients, I found that I was, um, you know, advising them the same way over and over again, <laughs> and that many of their challenges were occurring because they weren't having these conversations. And so when I wrote the book, um, I actually wrote it not just in mind for a leader on how to have a tough conversation with their people, but I also have examples in the book about how you can have these tough conversations with your boss or with a coworker because, you know, when we think about communication, it's usually, oh, this is like the boss who has to tell the employee something not so great. But there are many, many unsaid conversations going on in the workplace that involve like, wow, I really should tell you that this is on my mind, but I'm, but I'm unable to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was the reason for writing it. I just felt like I was giving the same advice over and over again. And I just thought to myself, well, clearly this can't just be the people in my circle having mm -hmm. these issues. Well, in fact, one of the sentences early on in the book that popped out to me was avoidance of difficult conversations has grown into a full-blown academic. I mean, epidemic, epidemic. And thinking about that, it's so widespread. I'm, I'd love for you to talk about what are the reasons? What do you think has caused it to be of epidemic proportions? Well, you know, I think we've gotten into this space where, you know, especially in the last two years, as we're moving through this pandemic, you know, we just, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And um, we're so exhausted and tired that we feel like, you know what, I, I got other things I got to get done. People are, are now tasked with doing much more with less resources. And so it's really a situation where, you know, if I, if I just ignore it, and I pray, it will go away, right? It's sort of like, you know, if you're sick, and you have some symptoms, and you decide, you know what, if I don't go to the doctor, it will go away. And then what winds up happening in many situations is things go from not so bad to really bad. And that's what I'm seeing in the workplace. These conversations never get easier. <laughs> they only get harder, if you don't have them when you first notice that something's bubbling up. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, addressing someone's performance is an obvious kind of example of the kind of conversation somebody might procrastinate having. What are some of the other uh, situations or, or conversations that people avoid having? And, um, and why do you think they put those off? Well, a common one is um, when people are taking credit for your work, right? And you're in a meeting and somebody all of a sudden takes the idea that you had shared before the meeting and makes it their own, right? And rather than saying to that person, 
That's an excellent idea. And I'm so glad you and I discussed that, you know, when I share that with you, that you liked it enough to tell others in the room. Um, we just sit there and we're like, I can't believe that person just took my idea, right? And then we leave the room and we feel helpless and we're like, you know what, it's just not worth it to me. And then it happens again and again and again and again. So, I mean, I think that's a situation that comes up a lot. Another situation is you think you deserve a promotion, but you're not quite sure how to ask for it. And so you sit back and you think, well, if my boss thinks I deserve a promotion, he or she will give me one. And that's not quite how that always works. <laughs> right. When your coworker is promoted over you, who's only been there for two months and you've been there for two years, uh, you're kind of disappointed. <laughs> and then you realize, wow, I never even told my boss I wanted that job. So there's just a lot of these conversations that are kind of just bubbling up underneath the surface. And uh, one day we just get really agitated and, and like those volcanoes that erupt, we just like go crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking about some of the examples because you have so many wonderful examples in your book of situations where somebody blew it. You know, I was glad to see you write about real people experiencing you know, difficult situations. And this idea of how do we um, seek uh, in an appropriate way, pro, I guess, proactively thinking about what can we do to set a stage for expressing our desire to be promoted or to have a salary increase? What, what would you suggest to someone um, in terms of the planning and preparation? Because I know that's a key element. You have these seven principles, and some of them are really about preparing for that conversation in advance. And so what's the, I don't know if mindset is the right word, but what's the thinking that needs to go inside a person's head before they would sit down and have a conversation around salary promotion or anything else mm -hmm. where they would like an opportunity for advancement? Well, in can we, in can we talk, you know, the number one principle that's listed in the book is confidence, right? Uh -huh. So if you don't believe that you really deserve this, you're going to have a really hard time convincing someone else. And so you have to have the confidence of your talent, right? And you have to just say, man, these people be crazy not to promote me. Like nobody knows this job better. Nobody's more qualified than me. Um, if you go in with this uh, mindset of, you know, oh, please, please, like, I hope, like, I get this job, like, would it be really nice? Like, you know, that's like a, not a very solid plea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to state your case in a very convincing way until you convince yourself that you need our perfect person and that you are deserving of whatever it is you're asking for. Mm -hmm. That's great. And one of the other elements in your chapter on confidence was around self-trust. And so for someone to become more self-aware and, and recognize, gee, am I trusting myself or not? What are some of the things they could look for to kind of evaluate or measure um, whether that's an area that, that maybe they need to, to work on and how could they work on it? What are some ways that you could increase your, your trust in your own thinking, your own capabilities and judgment? Well, I would suggest that you 
to find a, a partner, you know, someone who you trust in the organization and ask them for feedback, right? And just say, you know, when I, when I speak, do I come across as confident? And if not, what am I doing to give you the impression that I'm not? And they may say, well, you're speaking very, you know, with a very low voice, <laughs> Like, you know, when you use a lot of, uh, 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 <laughs> and you never quite ask for what you want, you like go around the, you know, the, the street, you never, you never yeah. just say, Hey, this is what I need. So, you know, I would just suggest that you find somebody that you work with who, whose opinion you trust, or if you are fortunate enough to have a coach, uh, that coach could do what we call a 360 and get feedback from the people that work above you and next to you and perhaps below you and see whether or not, you know, something is a particular uh, strength for you or whether it's getting in the way of your success. Mm -hmm. One of the things you just referred to is another one of your C words. All seven of them start with, (laughs) with C, but the second one I think was, was clarity. And so this idea of being clear up front, what is it that um, someone could do in advance to get that sharpness of clarity about what they want to talk about and how they want to approach the situation? Are there some questions that they could ask? Well, you know, what I always recommend is, you know, take a piece of paper out or take your computer out. And write down, like, what do you ultimately want to see happen as a result of this conversation? So, and I tell my clients this because sometimes these performance conversations, you know, we've all seen or been part of these conversations where your boss isn't really trying to help you improve. They're just documenting and they're ready to move you out. So it's sort of like as the person giving that conversation, it's like, okay, what is your goal here? Are you really here to coach that person and help them get better? Or are you saying to them, hey, listen, we've tried this and it's not working. Let's talk about how to transition you out. And those are two very different conversations. Mm -hmm. So when we don't get clear up front, then we wind up like saying all the wrong things like, oh, so let's go to the example of you're having this conversation because you are telling someone this is the last chance and we're done. And then you say, oh, you're the best employee I've ever had. (laughs) You know, I've heard this. And then like the lawyers, right, after this happens and your company is being sued, are like, did you really say that? (laughs) You know, so the language that you use and the script that you prepare in your mind or on paper is very different, but you've got to be clear. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what is it that you think holds people back from doing that kind of pre-thinking or preparing before they have the conversation? From your experience working with clients, do they not consider it that important or they just feel like they can wing it? What's behind the lack of clarity and preparation? I think it's because they're time starved. It's like, I don't have time to sit down and map this out. Like, I'm just going to sit down and say what's on my mind, right? (laughs) And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, everybody's got a gazillion things on their plate. And it's like, I don't really have 20 minutes to do. So let's just get this show on the road and see how it goes. Can you give an example of a client um, 
or, you know, in your own world where this has happened and turned out badly and. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in fact, it's in the book, um, my client who is the CEO of a hospital uh, shared with me that he sat down with one of his executives and he, this gentleman was not pulling his weight and he really wasn't being perceived by his, um, his peers as, as being very helpful. And my client thought that he had a very good conversation and then nothing changed. And then in the follow-up conversation that he had to have to let this executive go, he realized that he hadn't been clear. You know, he heard one thing, he, in his head, he said one thing, and this guy heard, you need to do this. And so a way for people to avoid that happening to them is at the end of a conversation to say, you know, to take a pause and say, okay, so just, you know, tell me what you heard me say. And had my client done that, he would have realized, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You need to do this or otherwise you won't be here. Mm -hmm. So I think what I enjoyed the most about my, my interview with him is just the fact that, you know, here's the guy who's a great leader and he's the CEO. And he's making these kinds of mistakes. So, I mean, it happens at all levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the costliness of mm-hmm. that, keeping someone who's not performing as well and the lack of clarity. I love what you just said about at the end. And again, I think people avoid doing that again because of time. I got to get on to the next thing. But, you know, you emphasize the importance of listening too. And so tie that in with this whole aspect of concluding one of these conversations or even in the middle of it. What happens if we're not listening well? Well, many of us don't listen well. And and if we're listening, we're really not listening deeply, right? Because we have this script that we've created, which I encourage you to do. But then I also encourage you to use improv, you know, like go off script. It's, you know, we don't know what this other person's going to say when we say this. So you know, rather than being like, okay, I'm going to say this. And then, oh, they're going to say this. I'm looking at my next question is to really step back and listen deeply to what they're actually saying so that you can respond accordingly mm-hmm. and not go to your next item on your list, right? Yeah, I think that's uh, sometimes we're so uncomfortable with having to have this conversation that we get in this mindset. And one of the other things I just was nodding so much as I read it was this (laughs) idea that, you know, we each bring our stories about ourselves, about this other person, about the situation, our history together. And Talk about why that gets in the way and, and what, what could we practically do to set the old stories aside so we approach this conversation from a fresh perspective? Well, I think we many of us make that mistake that we know what the other person's going to say, right? We've done this a hundred times when in fact, none of us have any idea what the other person is going to say. You know, we think that this situation is going on because of X, but in fact, it's really Y. They're not really able to do their job the way we think they should because we haven't given them the materials to do the work that they need to do. So, you know, you have to kind of erase everything in your head and just go in without any assumptions. The only assumption I would want your listeners to make is that 
hey, we're going to have a conversation and it's going to go well. Well, speaking of that, one of the other things you said, I thought, oh, we have to explore this. You say plan for the worst and expect the best. So talk about what you mean by that. Well, how many times, and you know, we see this a lot in sales, right? Somebody has made the sale and they keep going on and on and on. And at the end, you're like, I'm not buying this. Like, I'm done. But they had already sold me. And it's sort of like, well, they've already, you know, they've already, you know, said to you, you know what, you're right. And, um, you know, it's funny because I have two um, college age uh, young adult children. And I remember one of them saying to me recently, we were talking about his job search and I said, and he said, you know, mom, you're right. And I kept going. And then I, and I mean, I was digging a hole here and then I just finally stopped and I said, Hey, listen, I'm sorry. You already said I'm right. I should just stop here. Like all of a sudden I was like finding myself on the wrong end of this because I wasn't listening. And he got what he needed. And that's when I should have stopped and just said, okay, great. Here I am if you need me again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even I, who the person who wrote this book at times can be challenged. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was kind of struck with this idea of prepare or planning for the worst because I'm big on visualizing the outcome that I want, but I'm interpreting this as, be prepared for it not going that way in case it doesn't turn out the way you had wanted. How are you going to respond if that occurs? Is that what you're getting at there with, with, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you're going to have a conversation with somebody. It's not going to be pleasant perhaps. Um, They're either going to agree or not. Right. (laughs) So it's sort of like, okay, well, if they agree with what I'm saying, this is the path I'm going to go down and say, okay, where do we go from here? If they disagree with what I'm saying, then I need to have my facts and figures and everything lined up to say, well, here's why I feel this way. And here's what I've seen and observed and why we're having this conversation. So there's really only two ways it's going to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unless you've got a third, I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, you know, depending on how we approach the situation, the conversation, it seems, and you had a great example in there of someone who, uh, it was a a gentleman, a sales executive, I think, who was advising one of the sales reps and needed to address a performance issue. And he found out there was a personal thing she was dealing with, a parent who had become ill and she was the primary caretaker. Right. And then he jumps in adding another thing to it and she totally shut down. So um, you emphasize, you know, this ability to read other people. What are some of the things we should be looking for when we're having these conversations to help us determine, are we, are we reaching this other person? Are they getting what we're trying to say? What are some ways to monitor the conversation and how it's going? Well, much of that is the nonverbal um, pieces that we observe, which is why I say to people, especially in this new world of remote work, you know, for these conversations, cameras on. <laughs> no, I can't have a conversation like this and not see you. Like, I have no idea. Were you surprised by what I said? Were you like 
horrified? Were you taken back? Were you bopping your head like, yep, I've heard this before. People have told me that before. Like, you know, what's going on here? So it, so much of it is in the, you know, what we see. And that's why you can't, have these conversations and and have that person have their camera off if you're going remote. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. And this ties in with one of the other chapters that I also just love because it's not talked about enough in the workplace, compassion. And in Mm -hmm. particular, being able to show empathy to someone else. I think sometimes people misunderstand or misinterpret what we mean by empathy and think it's being soft you know, or might be a fear of being taken advantage of. How do you define empathy? And why is it so important in the context of having a difficult conversation? Well, for me, empathy is really caring and putting yourself in the other person's shoes. You know, if someone were to say this to me, how would I want them to deliver this message? You know, would I want them to deliver it in a group meeting? Would I prefer privacy? Like, you know, um, if my parent were ill and I were trying to hit deadlines and I was the primary caregiver, what would I want from my boss? So really just trying to understand what it must be like to be that other person, because believe it or not, most people don't come to work with this idea, like I'm going to be a really crappy employee today. Like that's my goal here. (laughs) Sometimes they are crappy. And then there's a reason for that we may not know what it is but ultimately most for most people that's not the goal so mm-hmm. as leaders we should be looking at that saying you know is there something else going on here and if so um, what kind of support can I offer at this point mm-hmm. I mean I think what we've really learned or I have observed the most with this whole pandemic and the last few years is that you cannot separate you know work and home mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't and in the past, We didn't see somebody's young child, you know, who the parent hadn't slept in days and and we didn't see them trying to help their kid with their homework. And now they're running across our screens, right? And it makes it more real. We have Mm -hmm. to get real and just be like, wow, that must be really tough Mm -hmm. to try to hold a meeting and like be looking at your one-year-old going, oh, please don't, don't cry right now. Hmm. Well, yeah, the extra pressure that the person feels. And, you know, as I was sitting here listening to you describe that, I was thinking uh, one of the difficult conversations besides the manager speaking to an employee, and you said this yourself, writing the book for all directions and thinking about an employee who is struggling and afraid to bring up that they're struggling for whatever reason. It might be personal. It might be, you know, something about the work that's creating problems for them. And yet they find it difficult. And and we, again, get into these stories about what are they going to think of me? What, you know, what might happen if I'm honest? And to me, this ties in your your final one, which is courage. How do I find the courage to bring this up? and um, and have this kind of conversation. Talk a little bit about the role of courage in this whole framework of, can we talk? Well, I always say to my clients, listen, no one is at you, right? I mean, 
these are, these are real problems. So if you're in the military and somebody is shooting at you, so what is the worst thing that can happen if you bring this up? And so I just encourage them to have the courage of their talent. And, and again, going back to that confidence of saying, you know, I deserve to be heard. Um, this isn't working for me. Uh, I'm not making any accusations here. I'm just trying to get us to a place that we call compromise, which is another one of the uh, seven principles. Like how do, we, how do we meet in the middle here? And how do we move forward together? Mm-hmm. And to me, that goes back to the attitude of we are in this together and not yes. adversarial. And that's mm-hmm. where to me, these stories that we have of our past relationship with a specific individual, what, what would you recommend thinking about all the elements that you have, what would help someone set aside the old stories and take a fresh approach? with someone besides therapy <laughs> yes yes just think okay. of a work situation where no, seriously no I know that's true there are work situations and I've had them myself where therapy was the answer you know going through the process to realize oh my god this is toxic this is there's no way out of this I, I mean it's making me sick so so sometimes therapy is the answer <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, let me circle back there because that's one of the things that I think is important to recognize. There are some situations, there are some individuals that if we ad- adopt all the recommendations you make in your book, <laughs> it's not going to work. And so what are some of the signs that we can, you know, have our radar up to pay attention to so that we don't keep beating ourselves, beating our heads against the wall or beating ourselves up thinking it's something about us that's the problem. <laughs> I'm laughing because I have toxic boss and for years I was like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And then it was like, it's not you, it's her. And, you know, I mean, like I said, therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, you know, you have to try to look at the situation and say, am I the only one having this experience? In my case, my coworkers were all like, I don't know why she's treating you different. She doesn't treat us like that, but we don't, we've noticed she treats you like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have my own theories, which, you know, are irrelevant today, but, um, you know, it just takes a lot of self-confidence to say, I don't deserve to be treated like this. And you're absolutely right. You could do everything that I advise you in this book, everything every management book tells you. But in the end, the only move you have is to get out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And and that, that again takes courage to recognize it does. This isn't going it does. to work. And I think a key thing, a theme in your book is this whole idea that really you can't change someone else. It, no. You have to look at yourself. And you know that from your coaching and your yeah, you, as an executive. Yeah, I never take on a coaching client who isn't interested in changing because it will never change. And I don't want their money. And I don't want at the end of the day to say, wow, that was a huge waste of my time and theirs. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it does take sometimes people need to go through these experiences more than once like to have a horrible boss more than once before they say, you know what? I don't deserve this. No one deserves this. Mm-hmm. This is what I need. This is what I deserve. This is what I want. 
But I think that comes with maturity and and self confidence and having gone through those experiences. Mm-hmm. So really taking ownership, and that was one of the words you used too, you know, owning whatever the situation is and addressing it, no matter what the outcome is, you learn something mm-hmm. you can yes. get from that. And so with when someone that's had a, an ongoing negative interaction with the boss or a coworker, at what point do they say, you know, what what would you, I guess, recommend they look for or be experiencing within themselves to say that this really is, there's no ability to work here? Would you address that directly with the person that you have the issue with is asking them, is there a way for us to be able to work through our differences? Well, you know, today the pendulum has turned. I mean, we're completely on the other side. So if you're an employee and you have that conversation with your boss today, your boss will be like, oh my gosh, like maybe what we can do to keep you here because I can't find anyone to fill this job, right? But I mean, maybe in two years time when people are listening, it might be a different market and you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to show my cards yet, right? I need to line up my ducks in case this doesn't go well. I'm so I think it really depends on where people are in the terms of the market, in mm. the employment market, as to which direction one would head. You know, that's such a good point, thinking about the current market, Roberta. Um, do you th- Are you finding that some managers are hesitant to have these conversations because they're concerned that if they say something, the person will say, I'm leaving? Yes, absolutely. But the problem is, if they don't say anything, that person is for sure going to leave. (laughs) So, you know, because they're not doing a great job, right? So then they're not going to get the promotion. And so if they're not getting promoted, and their friends are getting promoted, or they want more money, and they can't get more money, they're going to leave anyhow. Mm -hmm. They're just going to make your life miserable while they're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I think sometimes we underestimate People can read if we're coming to them from a position of caring, of compassion, of wanting to be helpful to them versus reprimanding them or finding definitely wrong. And have you seen where it really instills loyalty if they are trusting of this other person? Because, of course, that's a key foundational element. But if they trust this person to be honest with them, it, it, I guess it's almost um, paradoxical. You know, the more someone cares, the more they're willing to stand up and say, here's, here's where I want to help you. Here's where you are not performing where you need to. And, and I've got your back. Right. Well, that, that's how you build a relationship, right? You, you build a strong relationship with people because you're honest with them. You're transparent. Mm-hmm. People appreciate that. They don't want to have wonder, oh, is she telling the truth today? Or you know, mm-hmm. what exactly? Where is she coming from this week? And to feel that the other person is really in your corner, you know, looking at how do we close out this conversation? What do you recommend your clients not necessarily the script that they say, but some of the things that they would convey 
at the end of a conversation to reassure the person, I'm in this with you. You know, I'm I'm walking with you to help you as you're working to improve this area or whatever it is you've addressed with them that needs to be improved. Well, that's yes. And that's making the assumption that you are with them. Okay, because if you're not, and you're like, okay, we're done, don't like pretend you are. But it's sort of like, you know, well, let's talk about where we go from here. How can I support you? What do you need from me? Mm -hmm. You know, asking those questions. Yeah. Let's follow up again in, you know, three weeks time. And, you know, or if you'd like to have some time to think about what we just talked about, let's meet next week and, um, you know, come to me with some ideas on how you think we can improve and move forward together. Mm-hmm. These conversations though are very rarely one and done. And that's the problem. Like everybody's like, okay, oh, that's great. We just finished that. That was the hardest thing ever. And they think they're one and done, but they're not. <clears throat> yes. Because if you don't, it's like any training or conversations, if you don't have the follow-up, then what was the point in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it's getting that agreement and then following through that's so, I think, essential to that long term, whatever it is you're hoping to build with that other person. Roberta, we're coming to the close here. And I was just wondering, is there any other key point that we haven't touched on that you think would be really valuable for my audience in thinking about approaching their next difficult conversation, whether that's at home or at work, because everything we've talked about really applies Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. um, people in our families and our friends as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really about improving communication and relationships. So, you know, if somebody is worth improving your relationship with, then it's worth taking that risk and having a difficult conversation with them. And nine out of 10 times, it's really not as hard as you think it's going to be. If you, you know, follow the seven principles and can we talk and you work through some of the exercises that I provided in the book, you should be in very good shape. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, let's close by recommending people get that book. I, I really enjoyed it and learned things from it. And I think for anyone who has ever struggled, which is all of us, with having a a conversation with someone, uh, it will save you time and energy because it will help you show up in a way that will be far more productive than it might have been otherwise. So Roberta, tell people how they can get a copy of your book and learn more about you and the services you provide. Well, you can go to my website at Matchison, M-A-D-U-S-O-N, consulting.com. You can send me an invite on LinkedIn to connect and mention this podcast. Uh, You can go to Amazon, Goodreads, um, Barnes & Noble, download the book there and get started and start, you know, framing out these conversations that many of you have been holding off on for probably longer than you should be. (laughs) That's so true. Roberta, thank you so much for all of the books that you've written, this one in particular, because relationships are built on having good conversations, honest, direct, open, and you have provided such a gift to the world with your book. So thank you for the great work you're doing and for the books you've written to help leaders and employees alike 
be more effective in building relationships with each other. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.